And when we get to Moses' life, the writer of Hebrews says this in Hebrews eleven twenty three. This is important. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, when Moses was grown up, listen, refused to be called a son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater than the treasures of Egypt. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the king. You guys, let's assemble the pieces here so we can understand the magnitude of the last three verses that we're gonna read. The people were oppressed. They were crying out for a deliverer. 400 years, God wasn't answering them. They were starting to wonder, is he even there? Is he even listening? To add injury, to insult, to, you know, Pharaoh, Pharaoh commands the kids to die. And so now they're even worse. And the baby boy from Amron and Jehoshaphat was in that number. And so they hide him. And then they deliver him to the palace. And when he becomes a prince of Egypt, he lives the better part of 30 years of his life or so being educated in the world around him. And something happened. Something happened, you guys, where in that time, Moses became aware of the fact that he wasn't an Egyptian. Maybe he had a conversation with, his, with Pharaoh's daughter, his mom, one day, and she said, look, I got to tell you something. You know, you're not Egyptian, and his world is crushed. Maybe he ran in because they were a stone's throw away. Maybe he ran in to his real mom one day and his sister. And maybe they are the ones that shared it. Listen, you're a son of the Hebrews, not of the Egyptians. You guys, whatever happened, Moses was left at a place where he had to make a decision. Do I continue to live this fake life? Do I continue to have all the riches or do I go with my people and do what's right? And so sometime before the age of 40, he rejected Egypt, and he chose to suffer with his people. You guys, Moses is said to be a type of Christ, and so when you look, you see a lot of similarities. Wasn't it Jesus who left royalty to serve in the trenches? Moses leaves royalty to serve in the trenches, you guys. The people, and now Moses, are crying out for help. Right? Does anybody hear? And at age 40, you guys now believing himself to be the deliverer, according to Stephen's word, he strikes down an Egyptian and they reject him. You're going to be a prince over us? They reject him. You know what, first, you know what John chapter 1 verse 11 says? That Jesus came unto his own and his own didn't receive him. There's a lot of type here, you guys. And so he leaves Egypt he begins his next 40 years, according to Stephen's words, and all the while, the people are crying. They're crying, where's our, where's our deliverer? And he spends 40 years, his last 40 years, he'll spend in the wilderness. And so I want you to see this before we read these last verses. The people are desperate. I don't know if you've ever been there. The people are desperate. Something's got to change. We can't keep going like this. God, if you're real, show yourself. Do something. All the while over here, God is giving birth to the deliverer, and God is maturing him, and God is raising him up. They have no idea in their pain what's happening over here, that God is answering their prayer. They're not privy to the information that it's happening. They just can't see it. And so what happens in answer to their prayer, he gives them the deliverer. 
40 years old, and when he shows himself, I'm here, they reject him, and he goes into Midian for another 40 years. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me, God? Is this the answer to your prayer, our prayer? Did you, you tease us and then you send them off for another? We're not talking about a year, people. We're talking about 40 more years. Is this a sick joke, God? That's how much you care about us? Here's your deliverer, but not yet. He'll come back one day. You guys, some of you feel this in your gut because you've prayed and you've asked God and you've been asking God for something and it's your 80 years. Seems like he's not there. Seems like he's not answering. Some of you have been praying for reconciliation with a spouse or delivery from a spouse. Ain't answering. Some of you have been praying for a lot of different things. Praying for wayward children. Some of you have been praying for delivery from addiction. And you ask God. You even cry yourself sometimes to sleep. Some of you ask for companionship only to get nothing on the other end of the line. And you've been asking and you've been asking and you're questioning, God, do you even hear me? Maybe it's a direction in life that you believe God's called you to. Nothing there. It seems like nobody's on the other end of the line. So you feel that. You feel it when God says, just kidding, wait another 40 years. Bible says hope deferred makes the heart grow sick. But when it comes, it's a tree of life. You have hope, you have hope, and then it's deferred, and you get sick. And once again, you're back in the same place. You guys, that's why the last three verses of this chapter are the most important for us to hear this morning, because these verses, you guys, are our hope. They are our anchor when we're treading through our quote-unquote 80 years, and God isn't answering. Exodus 2.23, read it with me. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery, and they cried out for help. Their cry, came, their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning. And God remembered the covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. You guys, I can't give you a biblical answer as to why your mom died before she was old or why you were abandoned by a father and grew up in a single-parent home or why things were done to you that should never be done to a child or why it is that you seem to not be able to land and grab hold of the favor of God in your life and your finances or why you're addicted to things. I, I can't sit here this morning and give you an answer as to why you don't hear God in that season and you've been praying and praying and praying and the answer isn't coming. To do so would be extremely arrogant. But I can offer you the encouragement this morning that the Bible gives you in this text because it does say, despite all of their crying out to him, three things are true. God heard them, God saw them, and God knew. What does that mean? It says God heard them. 
They weren't talking to the ceiling. They weren't talking into the air. God heard every one of their words. Now, I understand because of the space between the time that they prayed and the time that it happened, and they're not seeing the movement of God in their own eyes. I can understand the doubt. But what God is saying here is he's heard you. Your cry for help, your cry to relieve yourself from the pain and the anxiety and the anguish, God has heard you. You can be encouraged by that. It was in Daniel chapter 10, verse 12, when Daniel had a vision and he prayed for understanding and finally an angel showed up. And here's what the angel said. The angel said, Daniel, from the first moment you cried out to God, he heard you. He heard you. I was an unbeliever. I had a fallout with my mom. I, 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 I left. I got out of here and got out of the state, didn't talk to her for seven years. In that seven years, I became a Christian. And I started realizing how much of a jerk I was to her and how much I ruined her as a parent. And I started asking God to forgive me. And the first thing he did was he forgave me. And then you know what the next thing he did? I started praying for her, praying, God, save her. She doesn't know you. And time went on, and the only person to this day that I have ever literally cried myself to sleep praying for, and finally one day after seven years, I get a phone call from some nursing home in Minnesota saying, hey, your mom is here, and she doesn't have much time. And I'm like, well, how did she get there? Well, you just need to come. And so I grabbed my fiance, who's my wife now. We hopped on a plane, and the whole time I'm flying there, I'm just in anxiety going, God, what am I going to say to her? I mean, we grew up Jewish. She's going to throw a brush at me. That's, that's like the last, the, my, my last interaction with her was just like, get out, you little bee. And she threw a brush at me, hit me in the back of the head. So now I'm praying for her. Seven years later, I'm on my way to see her. I'm like, God, she's not going to receive anything I have to say. I get to this place in Minnesota, and it's a Catholic nursing home. And I'm like, that's interesting. And so I walk in, and as I walk in, and I've shared this story with some of you before, life-changing, I walk in, there's a broken woman laying on a bed with tumors all over her head like you can see, just an oblong head and a giant cross at the end of the bed. And God spoke to my heart and said, go grab that cross, I have already talked to her. And what I found out was she spent the last year of her life in a state where all of her motor skills were paralyzed because of the brain tumors. She could hear and she could understand, but she couldn't talk. And it was God's way of setting a disobedient woman down, shutting her up, and talking to her every night and every morning when she opened her eyes and saw the cross and went to sleep and opened them up and saw the cross. So I went and I shared the gospel with her and I said, Mom, I not, you can't even, you know, you know, you can't move, but if, if, if you want to accept Christ, you know, squeeze my hand twice. She squeezes my hand twice. I lead her in a prayer and I take her to get communion and she dies the next day. You guys, I cried out to God and thinking, there is no way you even hear me. And in the 11th hour, in the 59th minute, God answered my prayer, flew me to another state, prayed for a woman, and I believe I'll see her again when I get there. God hears you. You are assured of that. And you are going to have to live by faith in that. He hears you. All of your concerns. But he doesn't just hear you. Verse 25 says God saw them. You guys, the word saw is a Hebrew word. It means to consider, to observe, to look intently at. In other words, God isn't not familiar with your situation. 
He watched the hand of the man who beat you, the one who said that he loved you. He saw that. Young ladies, he saw the guy that would say, I love you, and then rip you off of something that you couldn't get back. He saw that. He is acquainted with that situation, and he's not mad at you. He knows every single thing that's happening in your life. He sees every minute detail, the things you don't even see. He knows that your heart was broke. When your wife did what she did or your husband did what he did, he sees you and your situation. But the best part is it says, and God knew. The word there is to know by experience. In other words, God feels you. He just doesn't hear you. He just doesn't see your situation. God feels where you're at. He's acquainted with your sufferings. He's hurt. His heart grieves when your heart grieves, when you are treated the way you are and your heart is broken. He is not aloof. He is not outside the pain. He's in it with you. He feels you. He hears you. He sees you and he feels you. And so that's the only assurance that I can give you this morning. I don't know why God has you waiting. I don't know why he's not answering your question when you, when you ask it or you pray for it. You ask it at 2 o'clock and he answers you at 2.05. Well, the reason is, is because you gotta, you know, you got to do this and you got to be this. Bump that. We ain't in the place of God. I'm not his counselor. You are in a different place, every one of you, and I don't know why God doesn't answer you right away. There is no one shoe fits all on this. I will tell you this. Every moment, and from the first moment that you prayed, he heard you. You have that assurance this morning. You also have the assurance that he sees everything that's happening in your life, and you have the assurance that he feels you. He knows where you're at. Some of you here have walked with the Lord for a long time. And you need that encouragement because you've been praying for something for a long time. And it just hasn't happened yet. Okay, walk out with that. I don't know that it's going to happen tomorrow or next week or this year. But I know this. you got a God who is very acquainted with every part of it. Every part of it. You've been praying. Some of you parents have been praying for wayward kids. God, I pray they would come back to you. I pray they would decide for you. I've been praying, Lord. I've been praying for 5, 10, 15 years. I've been praying for them. And they're still there. They still haven't rejected the world. They still haven't walked away from it. And God, I'm exhausted. Do you even hear me? Yes. He hears you, sees you, and knows you. Some of you have reconciliation with people in your families. God, I've been praying. I've been praying that you would reconcile this. He ain't listening to me. Oh, but he is. You see, Moses was born, and Moses was maturing, and Moses went through everything he went through, and 80 years later, Moses showed up to deliver a people who thought God was ignoring them for 400 years. Let's stand. God's not ignoring you.
The Bible says I would have lost heart if I did not see the goodness of God in the land of the living. So wherever you're at in that, I'm going to assume that this applies to a lot of people in here and those online. God is not one who toys with your emotions. He's not. He's not going to say, ask, you know, for the desires of your heart and, and, and those will be fulfilled. He's not going to do that. So this morning, I will tell you this. The one thing you can walk out of here, and I'm going to pray you grab onto this and you let this be your encouragement. God has heard your prayer. He's heard you. And God sees your situation. And God knows your pain. And he feels it. And now let me tell you this. And he will do whatever the sovereign God of the universe wants to do. And the beauty is, you will be okay with it once it comes to pass. The moment's hard. I get it. The moment's hard. But later on, you'll go, God, I wouldn't have changed a thing. I wouldn't have changed one thing. You are so good. You know so much. Really? So hang in there. Know those three things. Hang in there. But I'll say one other thing too. I don't know where every person in here is in your walk with God. I'm going to suppose that in a crowd this size that there are people who have walked away from the Lord. Something happened. You know, and, and distance has done something to your heart. Maybe it's made it cold or callous. It happened to me. It happens to all of us. I will tell you this. The world hates you. The world does not like you, does not care about you, and will not take care of you. It will use you, and the people in the world will use you. And there is no protection for a person who loves God in a world that hates them. And so I would ask you a simple question this morning. Why won't you just say, okay, God, you woke me up. I realize it. I want to come home. I want to come back to you this morning. I've walked away long enough, and I'm just, I realize I can't, if I go anymore, it's really dangerous. And some of you, that applies today. You're like, Lord, can I come home, please? I'm sorry. And God isn't like, okay, well, we'll, we'll see. Talk to me next week. The Lord's like, Yes, and he runs to you. That's you. You've walked away from God. Did you guys all bow your heads? You've walked away from God, and you know it. And you've become comfortable in a world that you hate. And you're saying, Steve, I just want to come home. I want to come back to that embrace, man, that I remember was so sweet. Would you just raise your hand? No one's looking around. Lift up your hand so I can pray for you. Lift it up high. God bless you and you and you. Lift it up high. Keep it up. It's okay. Keep it up. Okay, you can put them down. Thank you for your boldness. That, that finds favor with God. One last question. Maybe you're in here and you just say, okay, Steve, I, I, I know about God. Right? I, I, I know of him. But I don't know him. I, I know religion. I, I was raised religious, but I don't know God. You guys, you can go on to social media and you can read all about a person. You can read out where they took their last vacation. You can read what their pets' names, their wife names, their kids' names, their hobbies, and never have met the person that you're reading about. And there's a lot of people in church that do that. They, they, they read about a God that they don't know. They've never met him. 
And maybe you grew up like that and you grew up with a bunch of you know, things to do. And this is, this is how you know God. You just do what he says and you obey this and obey that and obey that. And you find yourself bitter today because you're like, forget that. And you don't know Jesus. You don't know the God who gave you righteousness in place for your sin. Do you know that? He took your sin. If you're a Christian, he took your, took your sin and gave you righteousness. If you're a non-believer in here today, understand this. You're not righteous because you're a good person. You're not righteous because you've obeyed a set of standards as some church laid out for you. You're not righteous because you believe all the right things to believe. Righteousness is not found in a conduct. Hear me, righteousness is found in the person of Jesus Christ. And that's where you get righteousness. So the conduct to get righteousness is drop to your knees and say, God, I'm a sinner. I have blown it. I am unrighteous. No matter how much I try, I can't be good enough for you. And then God takes your sin and gives you righteousness and makes you a believer. So if you've never come to Jesus Christ, let me say this. The Bible says you've broken his commands. You can't unbreak them, right? (laughs) You You can't undo what you've done. The problem is the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. It's destruction. You can't undo what you've done and you can't take away the punishment for what you've done. But here's the good news. The Bible says that while we were sinners, Christ died for us, the godly for the ungodly. And he took your payment. The invoice was placed on him. And he says, I'll forgive you of everything. Everything, everything, you cannot conjure up an act that God won't forgive, except one thing the Bible says, the ongoing rejection of the Holy Spirit's tug and pull on your life to come to Christ. That is the only sin that the Bible says will never be forgiven in this life or the next. But everything else, God will forgive. So if you've never come to Jesus Christ and you wanna say, Steve, I wanna make a proclamation of faith today. I believe he died for my sin and I need forgiveness. No one looking around, would you raise your hand up high, please? You're religious, but you don't know God, and God doesn't know you. Raise it up high. God bless you. So I'm gonna ask one thing while we sing. And if you raised your hand to return to the Lord, look at, right here, look at me. God sees that and you're forgiven, now come back, come back. And he's going to restore you to himself instantly. You're gonna start to feel that conviction again. Get rid of this, get rid of that. Let's not hang out with them anymore. Let's not watch that. Just listen to his tug on your heart as he pulls you into the direction that he wants you to go, amen.